Welcome to the Citizens Youth Podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit us online at nwgospel.com forward slash citizens. All right. You guys give it up for this crew up here. Boy, oh boy. Clap offerings. How are we? Good? Who's asleep? Who's asleep? A little bit? A little bit of sleep? All right. That means I got to yell faster tonight. Got to yell. Man, you guys are awesome. Hey, I can't thank you enough. I have a blast every time I come here, truly. Like, like my family just has so much fun. My girls just love being here. My son is just eating junk food and just showing it to people. Like, hi, I have this still. Yeah, they're still giving it to me. They're still feeding me things. Uh, so it, it's so much fun for us. And, uh, and I'm always amazed, too. Like I, so I grew up playing sports, and, and I consider myself like a decent athlete. Now I'm just old and rickety. But man, like I watch people like, you guys have serious ultimate players out there. Like I watch, I, I always want to get in, and then I'm like, nah, I'm going to be the guy who's like throwing the disc, and it's just tumbling over. And the other person's like, it's okay. Yeah, you're fine. You're still learning, I guess, growing up. Um, so I, I just, uh, you guys are like, like, it's just impressive to me, the amount of athletes you have and the people who are really good at things that are typically very hard for people. Like normally I'm the one teaching someone to throw a disc and I'm like, no, 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 keep it flat. And then I watch you guys and I'm like, oh, that's how you throw it. Now I know. Uh, so yeah, thank you for welcoming my family. I'm super excited. And uh, so we're in night two, night two, last night. Yeah, we talked about... The cry last night, this cry out to God. And tonight we're talking about the interruption, the interruption. And have you ever been interrupted? Like, like seriously interrupted? Yeah. What's your typical response? Somebody just shout, like, what's your, you're, you get interrupted and what do you feel? What do you do? Yell? Yell at them? Taco? Eat? Oh, talk over them. I just thought you said taco. You're like, taco! When I get interrupted, I taco. In fact, I taco every day. Uh, what else? What else do we do? Just talk over them? Death glare? Yeah, man, I've gotten that death glare from people before. That's the real deal. Yeah. Just stop and give them the... My, my whole life is an interruption. Like, I, I have three kids, and there is no sacred space in our home. I mean that like wholeheartedly, there's no place in my home that I can go to where my children go, dad's in there. If I'm in the shower in the morning, my son just comes and he's like, daddy, and he throws open the shower curtain and water just goes everywhere. And then he leaves and I'm always like, oh, okay, it's over. And then he comes back and he does it again. Like, the worst possible thing because while he's standing there, I'm planning for it. And then as soon as he walks away, I'm just like, it's over. It's finally over. But I mean, kids will interrupt everything you do. So I was thinking about interruptions that make me laugh, right? Because there are certain types of interrupt interruptions where you get angry, where you're doing something and maybe you lose focus. And then there are certain types of interruptions where it's just sort of funny. And I was thinking about this video. So I'm gonna show you guys this video. You can tell me if you think it's as funny as I do. As a dad, I think it's really, really funny. So I'm gonna show it to you. You guys might remember it happened not that long ago. So here's the video for you. The wider region, I think one of your children's just called in. I mean, shifting, shifting, 
shifting sands in the region to the relations with the North may change. Um, it's too good. Here she comes. Here she comes. How good is that? How good is that, right? So, like, as a parent of kids, that is so accurate. And the craziest part, I mean, so this guy, it's a, he's an expert on this subject. It's on BBC, right? It's all over the world, being broadcast all over the world. And he studied his whole life to be the expert. And finally, his moment comes up worldwide where he's going to be on the news. And his kid just so unassuming is like, this is where I go. I want to be in here. I don't care what you're doing. So they walk in, and he first tries the stiff arm, just like, just keep doing the interview. Nothing's happening here. <laughs> and the kid grabs whatever she's going to grab. And I mean, that part's good enough. But when the baby in the walker's like, <laughs> just comes through the door. And I swear to you, I, I can't watch that mom come in without just being like, good for you. Good for you. Like, she try, she's trying to be secret, and there's just no way to... <laughs> just like hands and knees and she snatches the kid you know and the guy he's fine I mean he could see it you know in the little picture the guy you, you could just see the look on his face and he's just like oh man and, and so the best part is you know he studied his whole life and this is his moment to be the expert and if that happened without those kids so he just gives this interview nobody would have any idea who that guy was like nobody they'd just be like oh yeah that guy was on the news right like and then they'd forget because the next thing that they talk about on the news would come up because that's what the news does but when that happens you're a legend forever right like can we have that guy on as long as his kids interrupt that's perfect that'll be content for years so i mean that's an epic interruption right and, and his, his reaction is just so frightened. The mom's going to try to save it, right? So we always have these different reactions to an interruption. And so tonight, I want to talk about an interruption. So I told you last night that we're going to read three stories in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to look at three stories and four characters. And all four characters in these stories, they have a moment, right? And, and so we're going to look at two moments and two characters through one sort of interwoven story tonight in Mark chapter five. So why don't you turn to Mark chapter five with me, where it's going to be verses 21 through 43. And if there's a heading to this story, it's called uh, Jesus Heals a Woman and Jairus' Daughter. So if you're familiar with this story, I think it's legendary. It's one of my favorite stories that I read to my kids in the Jesus Storybook Bible. And, uh, and we'll get to that part, but I just, I love this story. And I want you guys to do one thing for me tonight. I talked about this last night and we did scenes. So last night there were four scenes. Tonight there are five different scenes, five different movements in this story. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to move in and out of this story. I want you to engage it as a story, right? Sometimes when we read a text, particularly like Paul's epistles in the New Testament, we look at them and we unpack them verse by verse and we start to say, what does this mean? And there's almost an academic study to it with the spiritual application. And, and tonight and tomorrow night and last night, what we want to do is we want to engage this as a story. So I want to tell it to you as a story. So we're going to read it and then we're going to recap and we're going to talk about it in different sections. But I want you to put yourself there. Smell what they smell, see what they see, touch what they touch, see what they see, right? Like this, this, these feelings, these senses that are engaged in the story, be there with these characters in this story. Experience these moments with them. Put yourself in their shoes and we'll work on that together. Does that sound okay? 
So I'm going to pray, and, uh, and then we're going to look at this story here tonight. God, we, uh, we, we say thank you for, for all the things that we've been thanking you for this weekend, and, and most prominently for your son, Jesus. He's here, and, and, and we're here because of him, and so we welcome you here through your spirit as we celebrate his work and all that he's done, and, and we, we look to you as father to speak to us and to love us tonight. We look to you as God of all creation for healing of our physical bodies, of our minds and our emotions. We pray for Scott and his ankle as, as he's being looked at right now. God, we just ask that you'd heal him and that you'd bring good news there. And we pray that tonight as we look at this story that you would bring change. You would help us see you, God, as Father. We'd see Jesus in this story and his character, his love and his mercy and his goodness and spirit, we'd see you moving in our own lives today. We love you. It's for your good name that we pray. Amen. All right, you guys ready? Remember, this is a story. The interruption. Scene one, all right? Scene one of Mark chapter five. This is Jairus' request. Jairus' request. This is verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. All right, pause. So we read through verse 23. Scene one here, this is Jairus' request. He shows up. And, and remember, this is who we're talking about here. This is very, very important. This is a man who was considered successful. He was a leader or a ruler in the synagogue. And what that meant was he had been given responsibility to set up for synagogue or temple worship for the people of Israel, for the people of this city. They would gather together each week and he was responsible for organizing and leading that. You just heard about that, right? You just heard about that student leaders and, and all the work that goes into gathering on Wednesdays with citizens, with music and planning and all those things. And, and this man was entrusted with that responsibility. He was a leader. He was successful. He had authority. Do you know what it means to be a leader? Right? Last night, there was the story of blind Bartimaeus. He wasn't a leader. He was desperate, right? He was a man sitting on the side of the road. He had nothing to lose and everything to gain by calling out to Jesus. This man has a lot to lose. He runs to the feet of a Jewish carpenter. He throws himself at the feet of Jesus. He, he's so desperate for his little girl to be healed that none of his dignity, none of his respectability, none of his reputation matters any longer because what he needs has preceded all of that. See, friends, power, success, fame, notoriety, dignity, all of those things melt away when we are faced with real need. And, and we talked about this last night. Who do you call out to? Who are you calling to? What are you calling to when you have need in your lives? What are you asking for? And some of you might even think to yourselves, look, I'm 16. I've got a good life. I don't really have any needs. You talk a lot about being desperate. And here's what I tell you tonight. It's coming. If you haven't experienced that, I, I have not by any means led a, a challenged life. I, I've had good parents. My parents were married until the day my mom died. 
I've had a good wife. My kids have been healthy. But I can tell you this. Everyone I know, including myself and my wife, every single one of us, we've come to that place. It comes for us. We live in a broken and fallen world and it comes for Jairus in this moment where he finds out his little girl is on the brink of death. She is on death's door. If you look back at what he says, he says, look, come, my my little daughter's at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she might live. He's so desperate and there's this moving faith where he knows he has no other options. He knows the time is so short where he's saying, come with me, please. My daughter is on death's door. I need you. And so all of these things that he's worked for in his life are gone because what he needs is so valuable. It it rushes to the top of the priority list. And so he throws himself at the feet of Jesus and he says, help me. Help me, please. Come with me. I need you. No one else can do what needs to be done. It's our our first picture, our first movement there. And you might think, you know, in in a moment that critical, in a moment like that, what's, what's gonna happen? Let's look back at the text. This is scene two here. Look what happens next. This is verse 24. I'm just gonna read the first five words. And he went with him. Scene one is Jairus' request. Scene two is Jesus' response. Jairus runs up to him. He says, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come lay hands on her that she might live. And he went with him. Hear this tonight, students. Last night, Jesus stopped. You remember that. Blind Bartimaeus called out and says he stopped. So he stopped and he listened. And tonight, he goes and he sees. And and I want to be very specific here, very clear on this, that when that moment comes for you, and and if it hasn't come for you, when that moment comes where you are at the end of, of your own ability to order your universe, when you're at the end of your own ability to get things right, to settle things around you, to push and pull the right buttons and strings in order to get the responses when you want, when that moment comes, Jesus stops And he listens. Jesus comes and he sees. He welcomes us. He tells you this, that you are never, ever alone. I I can tell you this, that there are, I I think I saw this Instagram post, something on social media that said there were 270 students and leaders at this camp this weekend. And I fully believe that there are many people in this room of that 270 who can be singing here with us tonight can be playing games with us tomorrow and they can go home after this weekend and think, I am totally and completely alone. You feel that loneliness, you feel that voice, those things that might say, nobody knows, nobody really knows me. Nobody could really love me. I have to keep this thing secret. I have to not say this thing. And and here's what I believe. I believe that this community is different, but I also believe that Jesus is the ultimate answer to that. Because Jesus, that thing that you are are holding back, that thing that you are hiding, that thing that you don't want to let go of, that you don't want anybody to see, and it doesn't have to be some deep secret sin. It could simply be some fear in your own heart. It, It could be anything. Jesus already sees it. He says, I'm already there. 
He's already heard you cry out, even before you've done it, and he's already started moving towards you. He stops. He goes with him. Jesus goes with Jairus. That's his response in this moment. In this man's moment of greatest need, Jesus says, you will not endure this alone. I will go with you. This is the message of the incarnation. If you're not familiar with that term, that means that God became a human being. That means that God did not just look down on us from heaven and say, okay, it's dirty down there, and I I don't want to take the gloves off, so I'm going to just kind of order stuff from here, start shifting these around. I'm going to send this guy over there. God put on flesh, born in in an animal feeding trough. That's, That's Jesus. He becomes man. He dwells with us. He enters into our suffering. He's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And he tells you this, that in your suffering, in those valleys of despair and depression, when the darkness will not lift, you will never be alone. He won't allow it. And he goes with him. He goes with Jairus. And, and then this wild thing happens in the story. So scene two here, Jesus responds. Scene three, look back, right? Look back. We read the first part of 24. We're gonna read the second part now. A great crowd followed him. So he's real crowded. And it thronged about him. That means they're starting to press in towards him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather she grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. All right, scene three here, a hopeful touch. So we have Jairus' request, we have Jesus' response, and here in scene three, we have a hopeful touch. Remember this, that this woman has been sick for 12 years. And if you look back at the words that were written, it says that she had spent every dime that she had, all that she had, all the money she had in the world, she had spent to try to get better. And not only did the doctors and and the healers and the people that she went to visit, not only did they not help, what does it say? She got worse. She got worse. Everything that they did brought out the opposite reaction of what they thought it would. She'd been bleeding for 12 years. And and here's what that means. It means that she was unclean. And and what unclean meant in this society was that she had to dwell on the outskirts effectively of the city, that no one could interact with her without themselves becoming ceremonially unclean. So anyone that touched her, anyone that was near her, they would have to go through this tremendously long, sort of painful ceremony, very detailed ceremony to cleanse themselves of this interaction. And so she becomes ostracized. She's put out from community. People say, you cannot be around us. And like I said last night, there's this belief that if there's something wrong with you, if you have some ailment, some sickness, there's a belief in this society that you've done something wrong some sort of cosmic karma. And and so people believe that this woman, you're unclean. She's lost her life, her friendships. 
She could not have more children if she had any children at all. She's lost all of her wealth, all of her status. And we see her on the opposite end of the spectrum from Jairus, our first character in the story, this man of, of success and fame and, and, and maybe some authority and leadership. Over here, we see a woman who is outcast. He was desired, she was despised. He was accepted and she was rejected. There's these opposite pictures on opposite ends of the spectrum and this woman is so desperate that she attempts the unthinkable. This crowd starts to press in on Jesus. And if you've ever been in a crowded room that's super hot, I don't know if you have, that's just a random question. You start to get that sense of like your space is, is getting pressed in, right? Your bubble is starting to get crowded. And, and she thinks to myself, I have to get to him. If I could even touch him, if I could just get near him, if I could reach out and touch his garment, then I know that I will be healed. And, and if you don't know that kind of desperation, friends, uh, I'm just going to ask you this question. You don't have to raise your hand. Have you, have you ever been sick? So sick that you would do anything to feel better. Like whether it's, it's, it's cancer or, it, you know, some, some other form of sickness, it could be. I, I had this, this illness one night. I'm, like, I don't know what happened, but I think that if you've not seen the movie Alien, where the alien's inside of you, and then it has to come out, and then you die. Well, that happened, but I didn't die. I, I don't know if I ate something or if it was just, you know, just my time, but I came home, and my wife was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah. I'm like, my, my stomach hurts, and I don't know what's wrong with me, and I went and laid on the bed, and I was just laying in this position, and like, if I swallowed my spit, I would have to throw up. That's all that had to go in. Was just, I'm just drooling on the bed. And, and for hours and hours and hours, just in agony, and I would have given away my house, maybe one of my kids. I don't know. I would have given anything. That was a joke. I wouldn't actually give away one of my kids. I would have given away anything to feel better in that moment. I was hallucinating, like arguing with people that weren't in the room. That's not, that's not even a joke. That's true. I, my wife called 911 because she thought I was going to die. And the paramedics were like, no, he's fine. He's just soft. That's a true story. She called 911 because I was hallucinating. And they came in and they were like, I don't think there's anything wrong with him. <laughs> if you've ever been sick, so, so sick, that you're calling out and you just, you, know, you need help. 12 years. Put yourself in this woman's shoes amongst this crowd, trying to blend in likely with some sort of hood on because this is a small town. People might recognize her and see her in the crowd and themselves become unclean. She would be pushed to the fringes of society. 12 years. And she thinks, if I can touch him. And touching a rabbi is a punishable offense. Uh, depending on who's interpreting the law, I mean, Jesus would, himself would certainly become unclean. She's committing an offense against him, but potentially committing an offense where she could experience some form of punishment. And, and some so severe that maybe the most legalistic of Pharisees would say she could even be stoned for this type of action. 
She's risking everything to feel better. She says, I just have to touch him and I know I can be healed. And she walks up, she presses through the crowd, she pushes herself through, she pulls people away and she reaches out a hand and she touches the cloak of Jesus, his his clothing, not even his skin. She doesn't get his beard oil. This isn't some weird thing. She just gets near him and she touches his clothing and immediately Immediately, this disease that doctors couldn't heal, that for 12 years had plagued her and ruined her life and driven her out of friendships and driven her out of town and driven her out of society, it's healed. It's better. She feels it in herself. And friends, if you're her, that for 12 years you've been suffering because of this thing and suddenly you touch Jesus and you're better, what do you do? I mean, do you dance? Do you scream? Do you rejoice? She can't say anything. It's a punishable offense. I I, I just picture her shocked and we don't get access to her thoughts, but she knows immediately that she's healed. And and I'm just gonna guess, she starts to shrink back because she recognizes that this is truly the son of God, that what she believed about him was true. And she starts to shrink back and there's this joyful fear that the power of this man, and, and here's what happens in the next scene. Jesus recognizes that power has gone out of him. This is my favorite, like, this is like video game Jesus, right? Like, like she touches him and like his power meter like, like surges, right? And he's just like, who touched me? And I love the response, right? Like if you look back at this, let's, let's actually read it. Look back at this. It says, she said, if I even touch him, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dries up. This is verse 30 here, okay? Verse 30, Jesus and Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Oh my gosh. Like, Oh, like, look what just happened. This crowd presses in on Jesus, right? You guys are playing ultimate octopus and you're just like, hold on, hold on, who touched me? And everybody's like, I mean, everyone? Like the disciples, I feel like the disciples wanted to make a smart aleck comment, right? Like they, and they're just like, well, it's Jesus, so we shouldn't because he's Jesus. And so they go, you, you do see the crowd pressing in around you and, you, and yet you're asking us, who touched you? Like a lot of people touched you. We may have touched you. I don't know what you mean. And I love Jesus' response because he doesn't even really like, he doesn't do anything to them, right? They're trying to answer his question. And I almost feel like Jesus is like, I'm not even really asking you, right? Like I'm Jesus, I know the answer. And so he starts scanning the crowd. Like they're like, you say who touched you? And it just says, he starts looking through the crowd. Like, I don't care what you dummies are saying. I need to know someone touched me and there she is, right? And this woman, she knows what she's done. She knows what's at stake. And she comes to Jesus trembling because she's better, but she could be punished. She walks up to Jesus and she goes, "Uh, okay. Like, have you ever been caught in a moment where you're like, okay, I got to think of a story. I need a story. I need a story. I need to say what happened. Like, I got bumped into you. It was her fault, right? She checked me, hit her. Like this, you know, put her in jail, throw rocks at her, whatever. Like just any, and she starts thinking and, and just she's trembling with fear. 
and she tells Jesus the truth. What's the truth? The truth is, Jesus, that I've been unclean for as long as I can remember. And I came here today to be healed. And I knew that if I could touch you, even though I'm not supposed to, even though you're clean and I'm not clean, I knew that if I could be close to you, I knew you'd make me better. What do you say? Like, I'm sorry? I'm sorry I did that, Jesus. Because any other man in that society, any other man in that society had a legal case against her. And Jesus, I can just see him. She kneels in front of him and he grabs her and he lifts her and he says, daughter, same words we heard last night, daughter, how beautiful. A woman was just saying this. I'm a child of God. He just he lifts her up and he says, woman who has been outcast from society, you're my family. You're a daughter of God. And he lifts her up on her feet and he says, your faith has made you well. Same words we heard last night to blind Bartimaeus. Your faith has made, your, made you well. Go on your way. It's the same words. Why is Jesus saying this? We talked about this last night, that it's not the quantity of your faith. It's not the, the amount of faith that you have. We talk about increasing our faith or doing more with our faith. It's not the quality of your faith. Give me better faith. I just wish I had more faith. I wish my faith was more rock solid. All that matters in your faith, all that matters and, and mattered in Bartimaeus' faith and in this woman's faith was that it was in Jesus. The object of your faith the person you are calling to is the only thing that matters. And so you can have faith the size of a mustard seed, a molehill, or a mountain. You can have any genre of faith, any amount of faith, any quality of faith. And if you believe in Jesus, you belong to him. He sees you and he hears you and he says, your faith has made you well. Go your way and be healed of your disease. This is precious and beautiful. This is a healing savior. This is a God who hears us. This is her moment, friends. This is the moment she's been waiting for since the minute her disease started, since she's endured all of this suffering. This is her moment. And in it, Jesus meets her there and he heals her in the most merciful and beautiful and peaceful way. He says, you're my family now. You're a daughter of God. Be made whole. Be healed. That's a hopeful touch and a healing savior. And if you're like me, you get lost in this story, right? If you're like me, you're like, oh my God, that's beautiful. We've got to switch back to our other character, Jairus. What's going on? If you got lost in the story, that may have happened to a bunch of us. But look back at verse 35 here. It says, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But hearing what he said, oh, it's... 
hearing what he said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, that's Jairus, do not fear, only believe. I'm gonna tell you something here. I'm I'm gonna read the rest of that in a moment, but this story from here out is preposterous. This is banana land where this story goes. Like, if you, if you don't read this and you're just like, what in the world? I mean, Jesus is just doing his own thing. Because, like, if, if Jesus is a doctor, right? If Jesus is a doctor in this scenario, he's a bad doctor. I actually think our camp nurse is an ER nurse. I heard that, right? Camp nurse is an ER nurse. And we were talking about the story of like triaging patients. She was like, yeah, this is really easy, right? I work in an ER where there's like life-threatening injuries all the time. And I'm like, fair, that seems right. But triaging wounds means that you prioritize the worst wounds. This woman's been bleeding for 12 years. Jesus could have come back to her at any point. Time is of the essence in dealing with Jairus' daughter. But Jesus stops and he enters into this other suffering. And if I'm Jairus, like I have two daughters. If my daughters are dying, I'm like, what are we doing? Like, we've got to hurry. We've got minutes. We have minutes to get there. We have to go. We have to go. I'm dragging him. I'm dragging him. And here come these messengers and they say, don't trouble him any further. She's dead. She's not Princess Bride, mostly dead. She's not half dead. Confirmed diagnosis, dead in the bed, no breath, no pulse, gone. And and Jesus looks at a dad who just lost his little girl dead in the eyes. After performing this miracle, he looks dead in the eyes at Jairus and he says, do not fear, only believe. I would be furious. Friends, if I had the guts to come to him in the first place, if I had the guts to come to him in the first place and throw myself on my knees and say, I need your help, my little girl's dying, please come with me, only you can heal her. And then he says, do not fear, only believe. I would go, I did believe. I did believe. That's why I came here. She's gone now. What, what do I do? If you've never lost a loved one, friends, there are things that go through your mind in those moments that are like, what do I do with their clothes? How do I go back into my house? How do I walk through my life and expect that person to greet me at the door with the same look in their face that they've always had? How do I, how do I go back to everyday life without this person who is such a huge part of who I am? How do I do that? And Jesus looks at that man and says, do not fear, only believe. This is verse 37. He allowed no one to follow him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. So he takes three disciples with him. It says, they come to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. These are professional wailers, not like harpooners. These are professional mourners. They show up at the house of of people who have died and they mourn, letting everyone in the town and in the village know what has happened. And so they're crying on the doorstep and Jesus shows up and he said to them, why are you making a commotion? (laughs) Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and Peter and James and John, those who were with him, And he went in where the child was. 
And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumai, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. <laughs> like what? Oh, friends, he, he hears that she's dead and he looks at this man and he says, do not fear, only believe. And he takes his three disciples and he says, come with me. And he's gonna show them something that nobody else will see. And, and he walks to her house and there are people crying and making a big deal. And they're crying and he says, why are you crying? She's not dead. She's asleep. She's taking a nap. And they all start laughing at him. Who are you, guy? The doctor's been here. He told us she's dead. And he says, you know what? Why don't you guys step outside? And he walks in and he takes her mom and her dad and she's laying there in her bed, no breath in her lungs, no pulse in her heart, dead. And this is the way the Jesus Storybook Bible says it. He says, wake up, little girl. It's time to wake up. And in the blink of an eye, she's, she goes from death to life. And she stands up and she starts to walk around. And here in this moment in history, Jesus, the God-man, shows everyone in that room that he has power over death. Friends, the number one fear in all of the world is death. It means the end. It's uncharted waters. It means the end of this life, and if this life is all we have, then the end of this life is the end of everything. It's our own non-existence. And here, Jesus says, that thing that everyone has fallen victim to, that thing that no one has been set free from in history, that thing that has existed since the garden, since you fractured life, since you broke everything by rebelling against my father, that thing is under the power of my words. And just like she's waking up from a nap, I say, wake up, little girl, and she gets up. Now get her a snack. It's unreal, friends. He, it's unbelievable. This, this God, he heals this woman. He walks from one moment to another and in, in, in the blink of an eye, you think everything is lost. And he says, I operate on a different timeline. His timing is never off. That when we think he has not heard our prayers, he's not dragging his feet and going, I'll get to you later. I'm, I've got a backlog of people I'm trying to listen to. Jesus doesn't miss anything. It's all done to display his glory. The whole purpose of this story, the whole purpose of his arrival is for him to show these people death is not the end. I'm in charge of that too. 
Nothing in all of creation is more powerful than me, and I will demonstrate that to you by showing you the thing that you were all victim to, the thing that you were all afraid of, the thing that spelled the end of your life, the last chapter that you thought nothing could free you from. I have power over that. I will set you free from that. And he says, and I will do it in my own way. It's beautiful. Like I, the, the, the things that come from this, I, I mean, just our prayers, there's no expiration date on our prayers. His timing is always perfect. He always does what is right. He always does what is good. He always does the best thing for the entire world and for the kingdom of God. And so you, as, as his children, as his sons and daughters, if you have believed in him, and if you haven't believed in him, then as people who should be his sons and daughters because he is good, here's the, the thing that the whole purpose of these stories, the whole purpose of all of this is for us to ask ourselves this question in every moment of every day. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Do you believe that his ways are higher than your ways? Do you believe that he is working all things together for the good of those who love him? Do you believe that all of the sorrow that you've encountered in your life, that all of the sin that you've experienced in your life, whether sin committed against you or by you, all of those things are ordained by God for his glory and for your joy if you're his child? Do you believe that there is nothing in all of creation that can separate you from the love of God? Do you trust him? Do you trust in his goodness? Do you believe that's who he is? He showed himself to be that God in that story last night for blind Bartimaeus in his moment. And he showed it to the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years in her moment. And here in this absolutely insane, unthinkable moment, he shows it to Jairus and his daughter and her mom and Peter and James and John says, I am God, and I have never changed. I am always good. Do you trust him? I don't mean in some casual way. I mean this in searching your heart. That when you pray something and you call out, and God doesn't seem to answer you, do you trust that he doesn't have to show you what he's doing? He doesn't have to tell you what he's doing because he knows. Do you trust him that when your relationship ends, it's good and he loves you? Do you trust him when you don't get the thing that you wanted? That, that person, that status, that the team, what, whatever thing, he's good. Because if you trust anything else, trust in yourself, trust in your circumstances like Sam talked about last night, trust in, in your friends, all of those things change. There's only one person who never changes. And his name is Jesus. 
And we're meeting him here in these stories. And I want you to ask yourself that question as we sing tonight, as we respond tonight, as we talk through this tonight. I want you to search your heart for places where you don't trust him. Places that you've held back and said, you can't have that because that's dangerous. I want you to to share those things with people and say, I don't believe that he would take care of me there. I don't believe that he could love me there. I don't believe that he would meet that need. I don't believe that he would do that for me. And I want hundreds of people in this room to say, he did it for me. He did it for me. He did it for me 12 years ago. He's done it for me every week and every day since then. He continues to meet me in that place. I want us to share those stories. I want us to share those moments. I want us to sing about those moments because these moments, these moments, friends, change history forever and they change our lives forever. We don't simply remember them. They make us who we are. Sons, daughters of the kingdom, sons and daughters of the king. Do you trust him? I'm gonna pray and we're gonna sing. We're gonna just just work through that. Keep thinking through that question. Do I trust him? Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that tonight, as you've shown in this story, we would see you as trustworthy. We sang about how you're the lion and the lamb. That you are the epitome of strength and yet the epitome of gentleness. We've sang about how you never fail. You never leave us. And we've listened to stories about illnesses, lifelong illnesses, decades-long illnesses being healed with a word and a touch. And, And we've heard a story about you conquering death by saying, wake up, little girl. And and we know the story about you conquering death by entering the grave and on the third day raising again and demonstrating your power to all the world undeniably that there is nothing that you are not the God of. And so tonight, God, as we gather and we sing and we talk and we pray and we search and we ask this question of our hearts, my prayer is that you would show yourself as trustworthy to those who have not put their trust in you. And and for those that have, God, that you would continue to establish yourself as rock solid, that you never change that you always do what is good. You love your children. You love us tonight. You will love us tomorrow. You will love us 50 years from now and 100 years from now when you call us home. Make that true in our hearts tonight, God. Help us to see you and know without doubt that we can trust you. If we believe anything else, believe that you are good and that we can trust you and our hope is in you and our, our faith is in you and that if we have any hope in all of this life that it's in Jesus in you. All of God's promises are yes in you. We sing that tonight, God. We we pray that tonight. Help us believe that tonight. We pray this in your big, powerful, merciful name. Amen.